0: The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. LinkedIn News.
1: How are you approaching your work, your life today in order to be better tomorrow?
0: Hey, everyone. From LinkedIn News, this is In the Arena, a podcast exploring human potential. I'm Leah Smart, and every week you'll find me right here in conversation with bright minds and brave hearts, learning how we can improve our lives and our world by transforming ourselves. Today, I'm talking to gaming legend, retired president and COO of Nintendo of America, Reggie fils a.k.a. The Reginator. Post-retirement, Reggie decided to share the strategies, tools, and the wisdom of his success in a new book called Disrupting the Game, From the Bronx to the Top of Nintendo. Now, Reggie's story is not one of just random luck that led to unexpected successes and opportunities. He's someone who has truly taken his life and career into his own hands, and he's tough. I was inspired by his intentionality and his resilience, because we all have a tendency to not show up and play the game of life fully. Sometimes it can feel easier to forfeit something than to stay in a little bit longer. So Reggie and I talked about his five life principles, which he originally shared in a commencement speech. With graduation season upon us, it's a time of endings, but also a time of new beginnings. And I think any of us can lean on these principles as we move into a new season of our lives. The first one, what happens to you is up to you.
1: It's your journey that you need to take ownership for. It's not your advisors to figure out. It's not your parents to figure out. It's not your friends to figure out. What happens to you is up to you. That statement started with my own journey of figuring out where I was going to go to college and how I would pay for my college education. My parents emigrated to the United States from Haiti. In Haiti, they were college educated, arguably you know, part of the uh, upper class of that country. Emigrating here to the US, they spoke no English. They took fairly menial jobs in order to scrape by. And growing up, Uh, first in the Bronx and then on Brentwood, Long Island, you know, mine was a lower middle class type of upbringing. My parents had no financial means to help me with my college journey. So I had to figure it out. You know, fortunately for me, I performed well uh, in school. Education has always been a passion for me. And I was able to navigate that journey. Uh, In the end, went to Cornell University, uh, funded that education through scholarships and loans and work. Uh, But it really highlighted that for me to pursue my dreams, my journey, I needed to figure it out. And so that principle and encouraging others to look to themselves, to think through their own journey, to figure out what it is that they want to do and figure out how to achieve it is uh, is a critical life lesson.
0: In the U.S. particularly, but, you know, all over the world, people are inspired by stories about people who have become resilient, dealt with hardship, and then found whatever the version of success is that we value. What do you think is the difference between, like, you and someone who maybe thinks, like, I have these dreams, but I just, I can't do it?
1: There's a fallacy that life is nothing but forward positive momentum, and it's not. And so having the resilience to regroup after uh, a stumble and to progress forward is, I think, one of the most critical behaviors for someone who is going to achieve something significant in their life, their personal life, their professional life. Uh, and and that's, I, I think, the divining line between those who do and those who don't is that that reservoir of resilience
0: mm-hmm. i I loved your story about the process around you know, choices of getting into college. i I, I felt like um that was a story that helped me kind of understand your thought process and your ability basically to find multiple avenues into what it is you wanted. And you shared that at an early age, you came up with this idea that you continued to use beyond getting into college, into your career about what is my fundamental objective? Can you just talk a little bit about that?
1: Sure. It truly became a hallmark of uh, of my career where I would not let a meeting start I wouldn't let an encounter start without clarity of you know what's the objective what are we trying to accomplish right here right now how do we make sure that we are being productive and going down the path of achieving whatever it is that we're trying to get done over the next hour or 45 minutes what have you but you know in in high school m- my objective was to get into a great college or university that would start my journey. And I knew I had access to a variety of different scholarships, but I I just needed to be really strategic. And so, you know, the objective was clear, you know, top tier education, and I set to work and I took that path. And, you know, on one hand, it was highly analytical and it was, you know, very well detailed in terms of, uh, thoroughness in uh, in every measure of how I would achieve this objective but also there was a lot of gut instinct and there was a gut instinct that said if I could graduate from this top tier university that it really would be a life defining moment and set me up for what I would want to do mm-hmm. next and so you know that process and that approach really continues to be core to how it, how I approach problems today
0: So at the beginning of your book, you talk about this story where you showed up to this event and you were supposed to speak at the event, but you got mistaken for the security guard. And it reminded me of this experience that Melody Hobson, who's a black woman, she's a CEO of Ariel Investments, a venture capitalist, and she's also George Lucas's wife, shares, where she showed up to an event and was immediately mistaken for waitstaff. And so Then you also share that when this happens, when we're different and it causes a reaction, we can't ignore it and we should lean into it. And you also say that we should not hide it or deny it or moderate ourselves, which I absolutely love. And so when I connect it back to your second principle, which is life is hard, so dig deep, I'm just curious what advice you would give to people who are different, who are noticed. Around, you know, showing up fully and being themselves and leaning into the things that people see and don't see that are different about them.
1: I've always been the individual who would stand out in the crowd I was in. Mm -hmm. While I was at school in Brentwood, there were not many Black families um, in the area. So I stood out. During my time at PG, I not only stood out as a minority, but as this very young, you know, junior executive. Mm-hmm. So throughout my career, I have been the the one to stand out. And my approach has been to, if you will, leverage my differences. I have unique points of view. I I have life experiences that were always different from the people I was around. And so I saw it as my responsibility to leverage those in all the situations that, uh, that I would be in. Now, let's be clear, I, mm-hmm. I I faced some some tough situations. I had responsibility for a brand called Sundrop. Uh, it's a Mountain Dew competitor that Procter & Gable owned. In the, uh, in the late 1980s. And uh, I had responsibility for this brand. And we had uh, a sales uh, person from Tennessee who at this point, we were at a cocktail reception, probably had had too many cocktails and decided to make a point of my race, mm. uh, probably my youth as well, uh, and effectively made a statement that you know I, I was not the leader of this brand, and that he didn't care my my titular role, that he was not going to you know support what I wanted to get done. And he was a big man, you know, and I'm I'm tall. This person towered over yeah, I was me. I say
0: you look pretty tall.
1: <laughs> but I turned to him and 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 I just said, you know, I, I am the brand manager for this business that means I put forward the initiatives, I drive the agenda. And if that will not work for you, then you will need to leave this business. Now, mind you, I had no authority to fire him or move him off the business. I I had none of that authority. But I was not going to stand by for this type of verbal assault, The next morning, he came to me and apologized and his boss came to me and apologized. And in the end, we were able to work it all out. But I I share the story now because, you know, when any of us are in a situation that because of our differences, we're not being supported, we're being attacked, whatever the case may be. You know, my counsel absolutely is you have to stand up. You have to push back. You can't ignore the situation and let it continue because that's how bad cultural norms are developed and exist. You have to break it in the moment.
0: We're going to a quick break. By now, I'm guessing it's pretty obvious to you how intentional and clear Reggie gets when it comes to planning the career he wants. But his call out on resilience and regrouping after a stumble as the most critical behavior for a successful life, both personally and professionally, is key. This is one of those things that's simple but not easy. When we get back, Reggie's going to talk about a point that as someone who likes to get what I want, I've only recently accepted, which is be open to alternatives. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by Medtronic. Medtronic is dedicated to the pursuit of life-transforming healthcare technology. From artificial intelligence to robotics and beyond, health tech is reinventing what's possible. Every year, Medtronic improves the lives of 74 million people. And we're just getting started. Visit Medtronic.com to learn more. And we're back with the Reginator, the retired president and COO of Nintendo of America, Reggie Fizeme. If you're one of those, I get what I want kind of people like me, then you've probably had moments where you were so focused on getting the it that it stopped being fun and it started feeling suffocating. If you are nodding your head, yes, I've got a thought for you. There is this consciousness teaching that I love that's called certainty. And in essence, it says, hold on to what you desire, but let go of how you think you will get there. It has totally transformed the way I've thought about what I desire. And I will also say, I have to keep bringing it up again and again to make it a practice to make it work. And Reggie's third principle of being open to alternatives shows us how many opportunities we can create with that mindset.
1: You know, this thought of being open to alternatives is something that you know, really has been core to my journey. Two quick examples, so being in my senior year at Cornell University, and at this point, my focus has been on finance and business management. I had just interned at a bank my summer between junior and senior year. Uh, I was confident I would get a job offer from a financial institution. And I saw my my path very clearly, Uh, join a financial institution, do some sort of rotational program for two to three years, go back to school, get my MBA, and then continue on a journey of international finance. And yet, I was approached by Procter & Gamble to interview for their brand management program. And you know, it, it was a bit of a shock to me. It's not something that I had ever considered. And yet, the more I looked at this program, the more I saw that it fit my goals. I was also you know, clear-headed enough to look at the downside if I wasn't successful, because I would be doing exactly the same work as someone five mm. to potentially even ten mm. years my senior, that if I wasn't successful, then nothing was lost because all I would do is go back and get that MBA and, and continue on with that financial journey. So, you know, being open to consider alternative paths is just so critical. The second story is my decision to join Nintendo. Mm. Nintendo was in a very difficult situation when I joined the company. Uh, many of my closest advisors, counseled me not to take the role. But you know, for me, it presented a very unique opportunity and something that I saw clearly in my head that I could excel at and that I could help the company uh, change its mm. current trajectory and be successful.
0: You share these stories where you are trusting your gut you know the direction you should go. And even stories where within that you overstep authority and something perhaps negative happens, but you still learn a lesson. And I'm curious how you, you know, looking back, would advise people to discern, you know, trusting their gut when you have a great idea or you know something is going to turn out a certain way and how to work around, you know, some of the hierarchical or authority, you know, experiences that you've had where you experience some backlash.
1: Any. Executive uh, needs to be pushing forward ideas and initiatives that they passionately believe in uh, and can see succeeding in the marketplace to propel the business forward. That's how businesses grow, that's how organizations mature into the future. So, constantly searching for and pushing forward these ideas is, is the role. The key part is figuring out, you know, how do I get people to say yes? Uh, Or when you are the ultimate decision maker, how do you decide if the idea is the right idea or needs further refinement and further shaping? You know, that is something that you learn and build your own skill base over time. During the later stages of my time at Procter & Gamble, I broke a cardinal sin at P&G. And and is, I overspent my budget. But I was on a business that was stagnating. But we had a series of initiatives that uh, we had done some testing and, and saw tremendous potential. And I authorized the start of these initiatives in a quarter prior to their being fully funded. What I should have done was to properly propose the initiative and get my organization to support it. But I was, on one hand, so convinced, maybe a bit naive, uh, that I just, um, I authorized it on my own behalf. And it was a mess, but it worked. And so what I took away from the experience was, you know, you need to understand the culture you're in And even when you've got this tremendous passion and this tremendous confidence in an idea, you have to sell it consistent with the culture uh, that exists. Mm -hmm. And that if you don't, even if the idea works, you know, there still are negative ramifications.
0: And how do you apply what you learned to life outside of work?
1: Yeah, so you know, at PG, you you're taught to think in threes. Three reasons to move forward with a proposal, three key insights from a piece of research, today I still talk in threes. Mm-hmm. If I'm having a discussion with my wife, I'm, I'm highlighting three reasons why I believe my point of view is the right one. When I'm giving advice to my kids, <laughs> I give them you know three reasons why they should pursue a particular approach. When I'm sitting on a board and and providing perspective, I still talk in threes. So, a lot of these behaviors are just so core to who I am that uh, that there is no separation between Reggie the professional and Reggie the person. It's it's all part of how I think about things.
0: Which is kind of like the, what you're speaking to is just the integration of values that if you apply in your life, you're also applying at work. There shouldn't be a you at work and then a you in life. And this is why the whole kind of bring your whole self to work or being authentic is becoming so... Uh, mainstream.
1: When I was retiring from Nintendo, we did a, a little event, and my wife spoke at this event. And you know, she said, "You know, the Reggie you see at work is the same Reggie that I see at home. He's the same Reggie when he's out, you know, in the community doing work. He's the same Reggie as he's meeting with fans. You know, it is mm. all the same person. And I, I think that that." insight is just so critical for leaders on their own journey. I, I don't believe you can segment your your personality or your life. Uh, you need to be one whole consistent person. It's why, as I wrote the book, uh, after every story I tell, I include this concept of the so what, as in What's the point of this story? Mm-hmm. What is it that potentially the reader or the listener to the audiobook can take away and apply to their own journey?
0: But showing up as yourself everywhere can be tough when you're afraid. And how many times have we heard someone say, just push past your fear and be brave? I prefer Reggie's fourth principle, which is embrace your fear. It makes me wanna give my fear a big hug. But in all seriousness, when you can acknowledge your fear, you're practicing a scientific concept developed by Dan Siegel, which is name it to tame it. And what this does is send calming signals into your body. I know it sounds totally counterintuitive, but saying, I'm afraid, helps you become braver. Here's how Reggie embraced his fear.
1: When I was beginning my professional journey, I was scared to death to speak uh, in large situations in smaller situations and uh, my boss at the time and i give him a lot of credit you know pulled me aside and said look you know this is something we're going to need to address you know you need to know I've got faith and confidence in you we're gonna get you some uh, outside coaching and training and it began my journey of building confidence to be able to you know, speak up in small group settings to get in front of large group gatherings to play video games on national TV with Jimmy Fallon to do mm-hmm. all of those things but it it started with first a a boss who believed in me and and then my own personal desire to to get good at this particular skill because i knew that it would unlock opportunities for me mm-hmm. So, you know, the insight for the listener to this podcast really is first being aware and thoughtful of what your fears might be and then being systemic in going about uh developing skills and capabilities around those areas in order to turn that fear minimally to a neutral situation but you know, who knows, maybe into a positive situation.
0: Mm. What I love about the way that you explain the things that you've done is that you have this very methodical and sort of structured side to you that thinks about how to make things happen, uh, and and not surprising, right, Give, given your roles, but, you know, thinks about how to make things happen and actually the process of getting to where you want to go, uh, which I think a lot of people get lost in, right? You know, you think about something you want, and then you think about where you are, and then you don't actually fill in the blanks in between where you are today and where you want to be. Um, so I, I, I see how powerful this has been for you. And then I think about your fifth principle. You talk about it as living in the moment and having some fun. Like with all that you've done with your life so far and all the success you've had and all of the ways that you've built up your skills to get to where you are, like do you have to remind yourself to have fun? Or like, how do you make sure that you do that? And and how do we all inject some of that into our lives in the process of, you know, being ambitious and being tenacious about what we want?
1: I believe you have to be conscious about. Rejuvenation, enjoyment uh, of your time with others, enjoyment of your your life and the things that you're doing. I, I believe it has to be a conscious choice to make time, because you know that type of reflection and that type of rejuvenation. It's easy to put off. Mm. It's easy to say, well, you know, I could get to that tomorrow, or I'll delay that vacation. Or, you know, I'll I'll work just a little bit longer and that time with my spouse, you know, we'll do it some other time. And each of us finds different ways to make time for that rejuvenation, that recuperation, that fun, that enjoyment. But I, I believe it's just so critical that you have to make time for it. The way I found work-life balance is not necessarily what's going to be best for you. But what I can tell you is that I found it. I found ways to have time for friends, for family, for loved ones, to take vacations, to have passions like scuba diving. And, you know, you have to make time for these and you need to find your own way to make that time, but you have to do it. You can't put it off.
0: All right, Reggie, I'm going to have you answer these three statements. The first one is better humans are.
1: Better humans are thoughtful around their impact on others.
0: Mm. Better work is.
1: Meaningful to all of the constituents, Mm. the employees, the, the consumers, the investors, all of the constituents
0: and a better world has?
1: A better world has individuals that really think about their impact today and in the future.
0: Awesome, thank you so much for joining me.
1: Absolutely, thanks for having me.
0: That was Reggie fils author of Disrupting the Game. Before we go, let's track back to his five life principles. What happens to you is up to you. Life is hard, so dig deep. Be open to alternatives. Embrace your fear. And live in the moment while having some fun along the way. I say pick one that feels like it would help you right now and try it out today. Do something uncomfortable. You never know how it'll help you grow. If today's episode resonated with you, leave us a rating before you go. And even more helpful, write a quick review. It helps other listeners like you find this show and grow with our community. And you can always find me on LinkedIn, writing about human potential. Would love to hear from you, so send me a message. In the Arena is a production of LinkedIn News. The show is produced by Michelle O'Brien. Joe DeGiorgi mixed our show. Florencia Iriando is head of original audio and video. Dave Pond is head of news production. Dan Roth is the editor-in-chief of LinkedIn. And I'm Leah Smart. Thanks so much for coming on the journey with me, and I'll see you next week.